Are you overwhelmed with your current case load? Could you use some help with your skip trace assignments? With Merlin Locate Services, rather than adding staff, you can add an entire skip trace department of licensed private investigators who specialize in skip tracing. Check out MerlinLocate.com today. When you work with Merlin Locate Services, you bring on a valuable experience and trusted extension to your team. Cross-Tracks Case Management System, that is what we are talking about today. Are you using a case management system? What are you waiting for? If you don't use a case management system, you really need to look into implementing that into your business regimen. I've been at it with Crosstracks now a little over a year, and it's just been a game changer for my business. They are SOC 2 certified, SOC 2 Type 2 certified. If you don't know what that means, it means that their encryption system is second to none. And you have to go through a whole screening process to figure out uh, if you can even qualify for that, and they have. So you know with certainty your data is being protected. I don't think there's another case management system out there that offers that same ability to have the SOC 2 Type 2 certification. As you guys know, I've been uh, you know singing the praises of Crosstracks, and uh, I really believe in this product, and I believe you should check it out. Contact Brad, contact Pat, uh, one of the team members over there, and see if it's right for you. Crosstracks case management system, check it out today. Welcome to our tax episode of PI Perspectives. Identity theft is a huge problem in this country, especially since COVID produced all those stimulus checks. Now, today's guest is the privacy mentor, Carrie Kursky. Carrie is a PI out of Florida who has created a great business helping her clients mitigate and recover from identity theft. Let's welcome Carrie and our host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome, everybody, to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. Uh, today, we have a special show. It's our tax show, Tax Week show. I got the opportunity to meet Carrie uh, Kursky a couple weeks ago at the uh, FAPI convention, and we hit it off, and we both do podcasts, and I asked her to come on the show. So uh, welcome to the show, Carrie. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Great. So you are the Privacy Mentor. That is the the podcast show that you have. It's a great show. It's fantastic. And and what I love about it, it's almost like a quick hit, right? Your shows are on point. You've got topics that you talk about to the point and it's like get in, get out and you learn something and now you're on to your next thing. So I, I really enjoy the format of how you do it. Well, thank you. And mission accomplished because that's exactly what I wanted to do was yeah. just to kind of, you know, talk to people about there's identity theft, fraud, cyber threats. And I wanted to be able to make people aware of what's out there, right. but also give them tools and resources they can use to protect themselves. So like you you said, it's quick, easy, um, you know, the down and dirty. It's just here. Here's what it is. And here's what you need to know. Right, right. So tell me a little bit about your background. So my background, it's actually kind of funny. You know, I love talking to PIs and finding out how they got into the industry. Um, I first started out as a financial advisor and I did that for many years. And then our first uh, child was born. And so I took a leave from the industry. Uh, but I still wanted to do something, still wanted to contribute. So I started teaching adult education at night. So my husband worked during the day and then I'd go to work at night. So right. we'd split shift. And during one of my courses that I was teaching, there was a gentleman who owned a private investigation agency. And I'm like, oh, I've always been kind of intrigued. You know, how do you go about getting into that? He's like, well, I'm not hiring. And I said, well, that's okay. I'm not looking for a job. I was just yeah. curious. Yeah. Well, then he had a case where he needed someone to help that had knowledge of computers, but also investments, trust accounts. Okay. So I came on and helped him. And then flash forward to a few years later, he retired. Um, you know, I took over the business after working under him for many years. 
And that's how I got into the industry. And as far as with the identity theft, it was about 2006, 2007, I got a first call from a victim. There weren't a lot of resources out there. Right. So I told her, I said, look, I'd love to help you, but we've never done this before. She said, well, I don't care. There's nothing out there. I need help. And that kind of started it. It took on a life of its own from there. Started getting more referrals, word of mouth spread, started uh, teaching other PIs how to do what I do, spoke right. at conferences. And it just took on a life of its own. Now that's all we do is identity theft restoration cases. And is it just you running your business or you have folks that work under you? Or? It's just me running the business. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at one time I did have eight investigators, um, but it just, I ended up helping most of them create their own agencies. And then I subcontract as needed. But I have a lot of investigators that I work with to teach how to do what I do. So if I need extra hands or if there's you know a, a victim that's in another part of the country, we need some extra work done, then I bring them in on those cases. Yeah. I mean, those are the great things about like NALI and Intelnet and, and all these national associations and CISS even with, you know, they have really good message boards and you, you form relationships with, with people. I mean, look at what uh, Fappy just did, right? They had this amazing online virtual conference. I met so many people and I have so many more contacts now um, that I've actually used you know, already, which is pretty amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, you and I got to meet and, uh, and it was very, very cool. So that that's great. You you can spread yourself out around and, and do what you need to do, um, and, and it, it's very interesting to see investigators where they are in their business model. Because some folks are, yeah, we have in house people. Some folks have like, I've already had the in house people. Now they're out, and it's just me. I, it, it, I think at different stages in your career and your business, you go through different models. Yeah, you know, when I started, it was just me, and then I built my business up. I think at one time I had six or seven people you know, on staff and now I'm running about like four and a half. Uh, so, and, and that's a good number. I, I always feel like the boutique-ness of that is something that I, I can still keep my thumb on, which is nice. I'm not, I'm not the, one of these people that want to go, um, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 investigators. It's too stressful for me. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I, I agree. It's, it's way too much. And and I do a lot of uh, a lot of public speaking, corporate training, a lot of travel. Right. Um, so this way, by having other people that I can reach out to when need be, it, it works out perfect. Oh, that's fantastic. So, I guess you made a conscious decision at some point then to focus on the identity theft and and doing the speaking and and all that, right? Well, actually, I didn't make the decision. It made it for me. Right. <laughs> you know, it's funny because with being PIs, there's so many different things that we could do. And I started veering off into other areas and it just kept coming back. This identity theft just kept coming back in front of me. Right. So finally, I just threw up my hands and said, I surrender. Fine, I'll do it. Right. Um, and it's funny because, you know, when you're in business, you're always trying new things. And whenever I tried anything outside of identity theft, it didn't work, went horribly wrong. There was something that just didn't work right, but this was always a natural fit. This came easy. Right. So I decided to go with it. And I'm so glad that I did because I've, I've gotten to meet some wonderful people, whether it's some of the victims I'm working with or we're speaking at conferences, you know, getting to meet people like you. Right. Um, so it, it really is, it's a blessing um, that I've been able to, to do this. What are some of the changes that you've seen since you started doing this technology-wise uh, that you're able to do, do now that you weren't able to do back then? 
Well, one thing that really has helped, um, even though the, with the whole pandemic, the, the good part of it for me is that a lot of the speaking is now online. So right. I can do a lot of virtual speaking. I can do more presentations because you don't have as much travel time. But as far as working with victims, you know, it used to be in the past that it would be more face-to-face. So right. I was really limited by geographic area right. uh, as far as how far I could go to, to meet with a victim. Now, because people are so used to Zoom calls and doing everything remote and online, now I have clients nationwide that I work with. So That's, it really has opened up the um, the reach that I'm able to, to provide and, and help that I'm able to give. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so amazing how like folks prefer to do Zoom now. I know like initially I'm like, yeah, this Zoom thing, I'm just not really into it. It's a fad, <laughs> you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, I much prefer that face-to-face or your phone call. Like I don't want to see somebody, you know, this and that. Now it's like, I expect to do the video and I, I mentioned this before and I mentioned again, like doing a podcast on video now, as opposed to just doing it, like I find myself more focused because I'm, I'm looking at somebody um, and it, it's like you, you're, you're at attention because you're having that. It feels like you're having a conversation, you know, one-on-one right next to one another. Uh, so I think it just makes it a lot better. So. Yeah, definitely technology. We're embracing it in almost every single factor of our lives. Right. Um, and this is just another one, you know, another way to communicate. I mean, you see people having Zoom happy hours and, you know, celebrating right. Zoom birthday parties and all yeah. different kinds of things. So it's Done really good. But yeah. another thing with the, the technology, though, as far as with the identity theft and, and with my business, um, last year was the best year for my company and probably 10 years. Um, And that has to do with the pandemic because the technologies made it much easier for the bad guys. And I use that term because trying to say PG, (laughs) there's another word I'd love to call them. Um, It's a family show. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But it has allowed them to also go international. Right. So identity theft is not just bound by, you know, again, geographic region for the bad guys. They can use technology and, you know, they can do it from anywhere in the world. And with all the um, the, the stimulus funds and the unemployment payments and everything else, you know, you and I both know being investigators that whenever there is a lot of cash influx and they're minimizing the validation process, well, the bad guys swoop right in. Perfect yeah. opportunity for yeah. them. And that's exactly what we're saying. So, you know, for some people, it's unfortunate they've had a negative impact from the pandemic on their business. But right. for the line of work that I'm in, it's just it's thriving and yeah. it's just been nonstop since the beginning of this year and it's continuing. Yeah. Two things I've noticed, two areas, definitely your area here, fraud. It's rampant. And we're going to dive into that in a little bit. Some of the things that, that folks are doing and, and some of the ways that private investigators can actually cash in on it. I guess, or, or get work out of it. Right. So we're going to, we're going to cover that. And the other thing is the license plates with these temporary tags. It is rampant. I mean, I think I had three this week I'm dealing with oh it gosh. where, you know, it's a plate and they ask us to run the plate. And it's like, I even just, I just see the first letter. I'm like, yeah, it's a temp tag. <laughs> you know, it's, they're like, oh, it's a, it's a hit and run accident. And they're like, yeah, of course it's a temp tag. <laughs> like the person doesn't right. want to go to jail. <laughs> uh, so I'm seeing that and I'm seeing the fraud, um, you know, the unemployment fraud and, uh, you know, people having unemployment filed within their name and, and checks sent elsewhere, uh, the, even taxes, right? It's just taking it to a whole nother level. I don't know if it's because of pandemic and folks like working for the government, not being in the office and maybe not being, you know, they're hoping they're not paying as much attention or there's just so much nonsense going on that they're just pushing through things without double checking. I don't know if that's the issue, but I'm seeing it probably, I mean, you're definitely seeing it, but I'm seeing it too up here in New York, big time. 
Yeah, and part of it was because with all the the stimulus funding um, or all the funds from the, the CARES Act, they wanted to get money into the hands of those who needed it as soon as possible. Yeah. Because of expediting it, they cut back on some of the procedures. That makes for sense. For verification. Yeah. So they didn't do what they normally would do. Right. Um, we're also finding, too, that a lot of the states said they were not using proper ID verification software or they didn't have any at all right. because they didn't want to pay money to update their systems or to implement this new technology. And now we're having, I think the last, last I heard the report was um, so far it's anywhere from 63 to a hundred billion dollars has been lost to CARES Act fraud. Wow. Yeah. Millions of dollars statewide on a state by state basis. Right. I, I know here in the state of Florida, there are at least 100 victims that I've worked with. I'm getting calls from people from all over the country. Um, you know, we talked about web of someone that, you know, where, you know, they live in New York, but they got a, a letter from like Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. Their unemployment. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Um, so it, it is. And anytime you see where they're pulling back the um, verification process, Bad guys are going to swoop right in because yeah. it's easier for them. Yeah. Bad actors see their opportunities. They jump on it. Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to jump out and take a quick break as we talk about jumping into things. <laughs> we're going to jump out. And when we come back, I really want to tie in the investigator's role in all this stuff and how we can take that phone call that we get and talk about, you know, helping out a person and instead of just, you know, throwing away and telling them to call somebody else. So everybody sit tight and we will be right back. Reliable evidence, whether in the form of video, witness statements, open source research, is critical to success in litigation and alternative dispute resolution. For nearly 40 years, the legal, corporate, and insurance communities have placed their trust in Stumar Investigations to deliver secure intelligence and actionable results. Led by Stuart Drobny, Stumar offers investigative and litigation support services across a diverse set of practice areas, including insurance, business intelligence, intellectual property, telecommunications, and family law matters. Headquartered outside of Philadelphia, Stumar is licensed throughout the Mid-Atlantic States, Florida, and maintains a trusted network of global partners to handle the most complex of cases. Call 800-355-1199 or email info at stumarinv.com and reference PI Perspectives for a free consultation, training, or partnership opportunities. Visit stumarinv.com for more information. I want to talk to everybody today about scopenow.com. Scopenow has been a big-time sponsor of this program for quite some time, and I just love their service. I've been using them since the beginning, I'm one of their beta customers, and uh, it's been so awesome to see them grow into the business that they are today and just how they just keep reinventing themselves and pushing themselves to get more and more information. What it comes down to is, is Scope Now is a tool that you definitely need to use if you do social media investigations, any internet research, and really spending less time digging around and, and uh, looking for information. I think it's one of the best points of how ScopeNow can help you. Their AI platform, their analytics are amazing. You really get an idea of what you need. You're reducing the time, you're reducing the manpower that you, you're spending on doing this research because they're essentially doing it for you and uh, they're doing it correctly, which is most important. One of the new things that they're actually offering is this flagging system where you can flag behaviors and really highlight and um, look out for fraud. If you're doing a lot of fraud research, 
Uh, this is a fantastic tool and you can set up alerts. So you have uh, particular people that you're looking at, you can actually set up alerts to get notifications when the criteria that you set up is actually um, is flagged and goes off. It's really, uh, really amazing. And their relationship and association analytics are uh, top notch, really uh, cutting edge and really, really cool. When they brought that out on version three, it was a game changer. I mean, really being able to see how people interact together and, and uh, you know, having that relationship you know, analysis is really, really something that's cool. You know, one of the other things about being involved with Scope now is their ability to offer webinars. Their team is cutting edge on putting together and getting out really, really great content. If you're a member of Scope now, if you know who they are, you've seen them around on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll know that they're constantly doing webinars on these new websites that are coming out and uh, they're really staying on top of it. And don't forget, uh, any reports that you generate, you can actually white label those reports and put your own logos on and, and really make them look professional, which you know could equate to more billing for you as well. So check them out today. It's uh, www.scopenow.com. They're a great, great company. They should be one of the tools in your toolbox, along with whatever kind of uh, search engines you do. Uh, you need to make sure that ScopeNow is a part of that suite. ScopeNow.com. Check out the PI Institute of Education at PIinstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the investigatorstoolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. Are you a member of NCISS? Do you know what this great organization does? The National Council of Investigation and Security Services was formed in 1975 to keep a watchful eye on legislation that affects our industry. Now more than ever, there are data privacy and DMV issues popping up all over the country. Consider joining and supporting this much-needed watchdog for our industry. Learn more at NCISS.org. Gappy will conduct a three-day training seminar offering 16 hours of continuing education credit on April 21st to the 23rd. This virtual conference will feature some great speakers including Eddie Ajabe, Jim Nanos, Kelly Riddle, Jim Baker, Mike Rundles, and our very own Matt Spare. You can register online at gappy.org or see the show notes. Congrats to show guests Chris Salgado, Chris Dons, the latest cover of PI Magazine and Highlight Cyberpol. The issue is available today. And welcome, everybody, back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. We are here with the privacy mentor, Carrie Kursky. Carrie, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really appreciating this, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming on. Uh, this is definitely something uh, we, you know, we, t- we talked probably about a month and a half ago, and I was like, tax week. We're going to talk tax week. That's when we're going to do the show. So thank you for accommodating and making that dream become a reality. So. Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So before we uh, stepped out for the break, I was talking about um, the private, the everyday private investigator, when they get the call from somebody and says, you know, my identity has been stolen. What do I do? How do we cash in on that? What what are some tips of of things we can do? And when do we hit the point where we need to bring you in and say, hey, you really need to work with the expert over here? Sure. One of the things that I find is that at investigators, we always want to go after the bad guy, find out who did it, who's the perpetrator of the crime. But with identity theft, that's the wrong approach. And quite often, 
you'll never figure out who did this. Um, you know, a lot of times this is modern day organized crime. There, right. you know, it's it's all um, online. So when somebody calls and says, and I'm an identity theft victim, the first thing that, that I always do with them is explain to them that, okay, we have two decisions. Either we can try to go after and find out who did this. And once we find out who did it, we may or may not be able to do anything because it all depends on if law enforcement's going to take the case or not. Right. And or the other objective is let's stop the bleeding. Let's put things in place to prevent them from doing any additional damage. And let's start focusing on how to fix what damage has already been done. Right. And that's the area that I've focused on. And that's the area where there's a lot of opportunity for investigators. Right. Um, you know, there are some nonprofits out there that will help victims. There are very few of them. Very few of them are trained and know how to work with victims. Right. But I recently had a conversation with the CEO of one of these um, organizations, and she's very involved as far as with, you know, a state and federal funding and everything else. And she said that year after year after year, funding to support these types of programs to help identity theft victims are being cut. Wow. Um, they are lumped in with like violent crime um, victims uh, of funding to help support for them, for the victim services. So a lot of these organizations are using the bulk of the funds for the violent crimes meaning there's nothing left over for identity theft victims. Right. So what I'm seeing is victims are getting bad advice because it's coming from people that don't truly understand the, the ins and outs of how this works and what they need to do. So there's a huge opportunity out there for private investigators to fill this void, to be able to help victims. You're not tracking down who did it. Right. You're helping them recover. Now, sometimes during the course of the restoration process, evidence reveals itself, and then you can turn that over to law enforcement. And that's what we do all the time. Anytime I, I see something where it's like, oh, here it is. We, we got a photograph. We got this or we, we got right. this evidence. IP address reach or something, out. right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Reach out to the, the local law enforcement agency, depending on where it is. Yeah. Um, and just say, look, here's the situation. Here's what I have. I'd be happy to turn it over to you. So and then you, the decision's up to them. Do you think they work on that? I mean, has it been your experience that they were able to app apprehend somebody or they're just like, yeah, thanks for the info. We'll put it in the file and you never hear anything again. You know, it really just depends. A lot of it is there are a couple of different things that that inhibit law enforcement from actually actively investigating these cases. The first one, lack of jurisdiction, right. because quite often the victim, the crime and the perpetrator are not in the same county. Mm -hmm. um, so then it's which county is going to allocate their resources to go and, and pursue this case. Yeah. The second thing is the it doesn't often meet the elements of the crime, meaning the victims often are not, they don't suffer an out-of-pocket loss. Right. There are federal laws in place that protect your rights as a victim of identity theft, where you can be made whole. So you do not lose any money. So if you have a victim, there's no money loss. They've, they've been made whole. Why are they going to go spend the resources? Um, you know, and, and a lot of times, again, with that lack of jurisdiction, that might be, you know, if, if you want to do something on a, on a state or a federal level, well, again, every time you bump up, it's you're bumping up that dollar threshold amount. And if the victim has been re been restored, yeah. there's no dollar amount that meets that threshold. And some law enforcement agencies, they put their own thresholds in. Um, you know, our local law enforcement here, I have a great relationship with our, our county sheriff and, and their organization. We work very closely with them. And I was talking to uh, one of the representatives from the Financial Crimes Department, and he said that he knows of another law enforcement agency within the state of Florida that unless you've suffered $50,000 out-of-pocket loss for a fraud or identity theft case, they won't even take the report. Wow. They won't even take a report. They won't even take the report, wow. which I don't know how they can get away with that because yeah. federal law states yeah, that you can file a report. <laughs> supposed to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. the victims, they don't know what their rights are. They don't right. read the laws, obviously. Um, right. So 
So yeah, most of the time when they find these these criminals, it's from a routine traffic stop. Wow, uh, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty amazing. So you you mean to tell me that you know the prince in Nigeria isn't really in Nigeria? Like no, I'm sorry, I hate to burst the bubble <laughs> for you, but no, it's a scam. <laughs> oh, there's so much money still in Iraq that people are trying to get. I don't know, you know, <laughs> I can't help transfer all that money over. You know, I spoke at a conference once, um, and after it was an international conference, and afterwards, uh, one of the gentlemen comes up to me. He goes, "I have to tell you this." He goes, "I just got back from Nigeria," and he goes, "You can get a college degree and how to do this stuff." <laughs> really, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> In other countries, you can go to school and learn how to commit these crimes and or wow. how to commit the, this fraud. Um, yeah. So that's what we're up against. Hey, one person's crime is another person's livelihood, you know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you no, you got to make it somehow, right? No judgment, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that's Absolutely. why I laugh when people say, if only they'd use their mind for good. I'm right. like, yeah, they're just mm. not wired that way, no. unfortunately. No, no, no. That's <laughs> so funny. At what point do you think when, as an investigator, when we get these calls, you know, we're, we're, we try and help and, and do whatever. At what point do you think we should tap out and say, you know what, it's time, you know, to call the privacy mentor and, and, and get this involved? Yeah, that would be for more of the complex cases. Now, mm. obviously, if somebody's had their credit card compromised, I don't charge them. I just say, call your credit card company, get a new card, problem solved. Because right. the only thing that was at risk or was exposed was that credit card number. But if it's something involving someone's social, where if they filed for unemployment, they filed a tax return, they opened a new credit account, got a loan, um, you know, those sorts of things. That means your social security number and all of your basic information, the bad guys have, and they're yeah. using it. Yeah. Uh, so those would be things that that you can get involved with. And again, if it starts seeming a bit too complicated, um, one of them that we worked on, and it took a little while to figure out what the motive was, it involved money laundering. And this is something that we've seen a huge increase of since the pandemic, because a lot of the businesses that the bad guys use to launder money, those businesses were shut down or yeah. they were limited. So the yeah. bad guys had to find new ways to do it. So they started using identities of victims to open bank accounts or open um, like uh, Robinhood accounts, you know, all these types of uh, online banking, yeah. investing, whatever, right. Right. cryptocurrencies and so on. And they're using them so that they can launder money. And this one victim, she found out because she got a letter from a bank saying that they're suspending her account due to suspicious activity. She doesn't have an account at that bank. Right. And right. that opened this Pandora's box. So I'm sure, yeah. So one of know, those, those types oh of God cases, moments. yeah, definitely yeah. give us a call because yeah. there are a lot of layers, a lot of a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Um, but usually by the time people come to me, they've tried repairing it themselves. Usually it's about a three-month period. And they're not getting anywhere and they just, you know, throw the talent saying, here, just take my money, fix it. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's what it comes down to, too. There's a threshold for patience. I know, uh, you know, sometimes people are just, or, or just they're just so intimidated by the process. Right. You know, it's like, well, I don't even know where to begin. You know, that, right. that would be probably a, a good situation. I know, like. I mean, most of most folks have these uh, monitoring companies, and I know I know oh. you have a, a, an opinion about that. Yes, <laughs> um, I do. <laughs> but I, I, I have I have one right, uh, and uh, I had gotten a, a notification recently. They're like, "Oh, a password's compromised." Blah blah blah. So I go and I look, and I look at that, and then I also do you know the investigator stuff, and I look in the back to see uh, you know what's really out there. And literally, like these are passwords that were temporary passwords sent to me from companies. Like I, I never created those passwords. It's like, here's a temporary password. So you can get into the site you're trying to get into. And then you got, you know, as soon as you log in, they make you change the password. 
So literally, like the compromised passwords weren't even my own passwords, and I'm oh just like, gosh. what am I paying for? Like this is crazy. Yeah. But I feel better having it. It's the it's the biggest. It's a scam, you know. Like you feel like it's you have to have it, but you really don't know what you're getting. Gray area. So. <laughs> it's that gray area. If it's a scam, you know. And, and again, that's one of the reasons why I don't like these monitoring services. Now yeah. they do serve a purpose, but what I don't like is they make you think if you sign up for them, you'll never become a victim. Right. There's no prevention here at all. They can't protect you. There's no service that will protect you from becoming a victim. I've yeah. been doing this for 15 years and I can't protect myself from somebody filing for unemployment. There's no way to stop that. Sure. Okay. So what these services do with the monitoring, it's all reactionary. They tell you after there's a problem. Right. Right. So there's no prevention. It's just detection. Right. And then the biggest part of it, and, and for some of you that are thinking, well, if they have these monitoring services out there, why would people hire me to fix it? Majority of the clients I work with are paying for one of these services. And they find out that when their identity's been compromised, just how little these companies will do for them. Yeah. Um, one woman, she has one and it's highly advertised everywhere, You know, the, the one everybody thinks of in the industry. Right. And uh, they told her she was a victim. She spent three months because they were just like, oh, here, call this, call this, call this. And one of them, they looked at her credit report and they saw something on there from Clarity. So they, they're like, oh, you have to call, um, you just have to dispute this with the credit bureau. Well, after three months, she was frustrated. She called me. I started looking into it. Clarity is another credit bureau that most people are not aware of. And obviously, this company's restoration department didn't even know what it was either. Right. Because they're thinking it's a creditor and they're doing what you would do for creditors and not getting any results. Well, that's because it's a credit bureau. So you have to contact that credit bureau, get that credit report and see who made the actual inquiry. Um, so I see a lot of this with these companies that they make you think you're going to be protected or if something happens, they're going to fix it. Yeah. Most of them don't. And that's why people call and hi they hire people like me. Yeah. And what I like, one of the things you can do probably with most major credit cards, I know a bunch of mine have them where you, 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 I have it hooked up to my phone. So like anytime a charge goes through, I'll get a push notification. You know, your, your charge, your card was just charged X amount of dollars. And I love that. You know, cause like I have people that work for me right. <laughs> and some of them have that card and they're running and I'm just like, okay, what is this? And who ran this? You know? So, um, it's a good way for me to stay on top of things and, and, uh, and do that. And then one of the other things also is you can actually turn your, your, your like shut your credit down. Like if you know, you don't need to, to open up any accounts, you can lock it. Right. And just, uh, well, now don't lock it. Hang on. Well, okay. All right. You're the expert here. All right. Well, don't let me not misspeak here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Matt's no, going to shut up it. now. Go ahead and, and, and say what you need to say. <laughs> no, I just want to clarify because, yeah. um, so you, what you're talking about is a credit freeze. freeze. Okay. It's yeah. also known as a security freeze, yep. but what the credit bureaus did, because when you put a credit freeze in place, the bureaus can't sell your report. Mm -hmm. They make money by selling reports. Ah. So what they came up with was this term called a lock. Now, when you sign up for a lock, sometimes you have to pay a fee for it. Mm -hmm. Or the biggest thing is that the credit freeze, your rights are mandated by federal law. So Correct. they're all spelled out about what you're entitled to. Okay. When you do a credit lock, you're entering into a contractual agreement with the credit bureau. And some of your rights, you may be surrendering mm. because you're engaging in this contract. 
Um, so I, I was now I'm actually one of my podcast episodes that's coming out is about the difference between a fraud alert, a credit freeze, and a lock because right, people so. call me all the time. <laughs> Tune into it, folks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they call all the time, going, "Oh yeah, I have it all taken care of," and they yeah. have a lock. Yeah. Um, and they're like, "Yeah, it only costs me nine ninety nine a month. A credit freeze is free. Yeah. Again, mandated by federal law. So again, be very careful with the terminology. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But no, I'm no, it's cool. And the, please do. <laughs> I, 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 there, there are many times I say things I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> my spouse she'll tell you <laughs> yeah you know another uh, thing that pis can can use identity theft for yeah. um when i first started doing this i, I had uh, somebody a rotary group asked me to speak about it they're like well just come and talk about whatever you want to talk about so i'm like right. okay i'll talk about identity theft it's kind of a hot button um and that's really what started my whole speaking career because i started talking about identity theft more people wanted to learn about it but when i first started talking about it again i was seeing patterns of how people were becoming victims so i wanted to warn others about it yeah. but what i found is that it allowed me to get my name and my company my investigation agency in front of organizations so that i could tell them about what we do because people think PIs do nothing but, you know, hiding in bushes, catching cheating spouses or, you know, Magnum PI type stuff. Right. They don't really realize how valuable the service that we can provide to them. So by doing talks, whether it's your local chamber, your rotaries, your church groups, whatever it is on identity theft, that helps get awareness out there about you and your agency. Sure. So even if you don't want to get into working with victims, just put together a, a, a presentation about here's identity theft, what you need to know how to protect yourself. And I, I get calls. I have to turn um, offers away to speak yeah. because I get so many of them. And, you know, I can only do so many freebies a year, yeah. uh, but there people want to know. People yeah. want to know. So again, if you don't want to get into doing this line of work, as far as the investigative stuff, at least use it as a marketing tool. No, that's a good point. I mean, I've seen plenty of investigators on even on the news. Like they'll they'll run a few a uh, few minutes as a spot of of that, and they're giving tips on on privacy and and f uh, fraud prevention and things like that. And it really like you know the, that's not their their wheelhouse, but they get on there anyways just to talk about it, right? So any press is good press. <laughs> Absolutely, so, yeah. So. As long as it's a good press. Normally, right. when you hear about PIs, it's all the bad stuff. So right. Let's just Focus right. on the positive. <laughs> and, and, you know, as long as you're not, Matt, telling people to lock things down instead of freezing things, yeah. you know, it's, it's all good. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you slide on that one. <laughs> all right. We may, we may need to edit that segment out. <laughs> it's give or take. <laughs> but uh, no, it's cool. We all, we all need to be humbled every now and then. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, I mean, listen, that, that, that's cool. So, like, what are you seeing as far as, like, like actual taxes? This is tax week here. People are filing their taxes. Have you seen like a, a, a problem with um, false uh, tax filings, a, a big uptick in the last year on that too or no? Well, some of the things that we're seeing is, again, COVID has kind of rewritten the rules on everything. I mean, you know, we're seeing things that we didn't even know were possible. But when it comes to tax return identity theft, we first started seeing about 2012, 2013, um, and that's when it exploded nationwide. Uh, and it was really easy for the bad guys. They had it down to a science. They knew what dollar amount to put as yeah. far as income, what to put for expenses, deductions to get the maximum refund yeah. without raising a red flag for an audit. Well, you know, you um, know why they had it down. They went to college for it, apparently, in some other country. They learned how to do it. So. Exactly. <laughs> or, they, or they were in jail. I call that criminal college. That's where they learned to you know, perfect they, their craft. There you go. Okay, um, so they perfected you, the system for it, right? Yeah, so they perfected a system and they were doing it mass. I mean, there was one place, and I believe if I remember correctly, it was in Lansing, Michigan, where there was 
was one address where 1,500 tax returns were filed from wow. a single family residence. Wow. Hello, you think somebody <laughs> would have you know, been able to pick up on that. And I forget right. how many hundreds of, do- hundreds of thousands of dollars was sent to them in refunds. Right. But anyways, that was the explosion of it. So the IRS started putting things in place. Um, one of them was an IP pin number, an identity protection pin number, which I'll explain that in a second here. So they started putting tools in place and they started having more checks and balances on their end. Um, so it, it really was making it harder for the bad guys to get the quick, easy cash like they did in the beginning because they always move in, you know, big, hard and fast because they know that they have a limited amount of time before they start putting restrictions in place. Right. And that's what happened here. So the next phase after that, we started seeing they were going after college age students. Um, kids that were in college because mm-hmm. I had one year where I kept getting all these calls from parents saying, hey, I went to file my tax return and it was rejected because it said one of my dependents had already filed a return right. and they were all in college. Sure enough, we found out later on that the FAFSA, which is the program that kids have to use for financial aid, right. was tied to the IRS to get the financial reporting. Um, that was breached. Okay. So the bad guys got all that information. They knew about the college students. And again, they had the formula to know what to do, what to use to get the max amount of refund as far as like computers and, and books and all kinds of stuff. So that was another trend we started seeing. Then we started seeing the trend um, last year with COVID because they extended the filing deadline till um, October. Mm-hmm. So around October, as it started getting closer to the deadline, I was getting calls from people going, I tried to file my return. It was rejected because one of my dependents was listed on someone else's return. This time it was to get more stimulus funding Mm -hmm. because the way the timing of it worked out is that your stimulus funding, how much you would get would be based on either your 2019 or your, I have to go back thinking years because it's a, a year. Yeah, yeah. I think it was 2019. I think you're right. So we were in 2020. So it was for, they would either do it based on 2019. Yeah. Um, if you had already filed that 2019 return, if not, it was going to be based on your 2018 return. So the bad guys would hurry up and file the 2019 because remember it got extended until October and they would add more dependents. Right. So because the more dependents, the more money you got. So that was a trend we started seeing last year. Then we started finding people were getting um, uh, letters, again, getting back to the unemployment type of identity theft where somebody used their information to file for unemployment benefits. Well, the tax consequence on that one is that this year, people who had gotten those letters last year, they were getting a 1099G in the mail. Mm-hmm. Well, the 1099G is the amount of unemployment funds in, or unemployment income you received that's been reported to the IRS. So now not only do you have to mitigate it with the state where the fraudulent filing was was where the application was submitted and, and where it was received, right. now you have to deal with the IRS because they think you received this extra income, which you did not. Right. Um, and that we're starting to see again. So we're working with people right now still that are getting letters saying that even in 2021 that someone's using their identity for unemployment. So we're telling them, okay, let's make a note on the calendar that we got to circle back around and make sure in January, February, you don't get a 1099G for those funds. Yeah. So it's it's a mess right now. Um, but getting back to the IP PIN number, mm-hmm. when they first launched the program, it was only Florida, Georgia, and DC. Those are the three areas that were hit the hardest where they had the most amount of, of financial um, tax return identity theft crimes. So they launched this this beta program where you could apply to get an IP PIN number. It's a number that you would put on your tax return. And when you filed your tax return, 
if a bad guy filed one, they're not going to have this IP PIN number. So that tax return is going to be re automatically rejected. So it was a way for the IRS to know that this was your return and this was the correct one. So they knew which one to accept. Right. So they started that program. At first, you could only do it by the primary um, uh, uh, tax filer on the report. So if you were married, it would be the primary person was the only one who would get it. Then they opened it up for the spouse. And then I've heard that now it's any taxpayer can, can get it. But starting in this year, anyone nationwide is eligible, any taxpayer, I should say, um, is eligible to get an IP PIN number with the IRS. Right. All you have to do is go to their website, irs.gov, do a search on their search box for um, IP PIN, and it takes you to the, the results, click on get IP PIN, and then just follow the process. But I will caution you, wait until probably June or July to try to get yours, because people that are trying to get their IP PIN number right now in hopes that they can use it for the 2020 tax year, mm -hmm. when they get that PIN number, because when you go through the online process, the last page is this document that you can print out and it has your PIN number on it. Some of them are saying that's the PIN number for 2019. Some are saying it's the PIN number for 2020. And some are saying it's the PIN number for 2021. Oh, wow. So they change it every year? You get a new PIN number every year. They'll oh. mail you a new PIN number. Usually you get it around December, sometimes mm -hmm. into January when you get the new PIN number. So now the problem is, is that people are using it, but they don't know what year it's actually for. Oh, so that's, that's why I'm saying if you want to get an IP PIN number, hold off until probably June or July mm -hmm. after all the, the tax returns have been filed for 2020 um, and then try to get that PIN number for the 2021 year. Okay. All right. So we're going to wind down over here. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about all this stuff. It's really fascinating. And I think that investigators in our industry don't really understand that there is a revenue chain there, right? There's a way that you can you can actually generate revenue for your business if you know how to respond to those phone calls correctly and, and you know how to do the initial research that you need to do. So um, that's really what I, want, I wanted to talk about today. So how do um, how do folks get a hold of you if they have any questions? Sure. So um, you can get, go to my website, which is uh, kerski.com. That's K-E-R-S-K-I-E.com. Uh, you can always uh, reach out, give us a call, 239-435-9111. That's why I say we're the other 911 <laughs> for identity theft emergencies. If you want to learn more about the money laundering identity theft, we do have a case study um, that you can go to my website, which is kersky.com forward slash case study, and you can download it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, if anybody's interested in you wanting to learn how to, how to you know, work with victims, um, or if you have any questions, or if you have any clients that you know might need assistance, uh, feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm happy to help because we definitely need more people in this space. Right. Um, you know, I'm only one, and there are millions and millions of victims out there. So. Right, right. There's, there's always room for more. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about this stuff. I apparently got an education today, so that that's good. <laughs> I'm never going to hear the end of that. I, I hope every, I'm never going to hear the end of it. I hope uh, I hope everyone else picked something up on this too. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for doing what you do and being a part of this. And uh, I know I've already referred a, f a few people over to you even after we just met. Um, and I'm sure that will continue, unfortunately, for, for the folks that call me. Um, uh, that they, they got to deal with this stuff. So, uh, all right. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll catch everybody on the next show. As we wrap it up, we'd like to thank Carrie for sharing her knowledge. This was a great chat and we hope you picked up some tips on how to handle these calls when they come into your office. We also want to thank Crosstracks, Merlin Locate, Stumar Investigations, Scope Now, NCISS, and the PI Institute of Education for sponsoring the show. 
Have you checked out InvestigatorsToolbox.com yet? Did you know our app is launching soon? You'll be able to access the whole site right from your iPhone or Google phone. Remember, it only takes 49 cents a day to unlock the future of investigations. So make an investment in your business and yourself today. Legacy discounts no longer available, but you can still save some money. Use code PIP201836 and we'll save you an extra $20. Got a question or comment about the show? Email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We want your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back next Monday with a new show, so make sure you tune in. Please stay safe out there.